0: open your bibles and let's look at psalm 119 we're going to look at two verses this morning just two verse 32 and verse 45 picking them out of two different stanzas because there's a common theme there i entitled our lesson today rooted and free i want to talk about freedom so um I have a whole series probably like you of favorite movies and uh, one of them is Braveheart. Now I realize that's not a chick flick, but it is a cool movie. And before I went to Scotland this last time, I did a little research on, um, on William Wallace and I was all excited to go over towards Falkirk and, and Stirling, and where the bridge was and where the fights were and blah, blah, blah. And come to find out that magnificent scene, you all know it, I was going to show it to you, but then I realized you'd all laugh at me, but that magnificent scene when he's running back and forth, stirring up the troops to take on England's uh, uh, army, and he screams out the word, freedom! You don't remember, do you? Okay, well anyway, it's a magnificent moment, and it's not true. It didn't happen. It didn't happen like that. Broke my heart when I got over to Scotland and I was uh, standing there talking to somebody at one of the castles. And I said, now, is this the place where the blah, blah? And he goes, yeah, it's a great movie, but it didn't happen in history. Thanks a lot. Ruined it for me. That word freedom, though, is a very evoking word. If I went out on the corner down here and took an American flag and started waving it and started hollering, freedom! I'd get myself a crowd in a short period of time. Freedom means something to us. Well, I want to take the the time today to ask the question, when the psalmist writes about freedom, what's he writing about? And I think it's a timely message for today. If you want to run me out on rails when I'm done today, okay, I get it. But I want you to look with an open mind. What does God have to say about freedom? So let's look at verse 32, Psalm 119, verse 32, for the first verse. He says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my horizon. Another translation says, I run in the path of your command, for you have set my heart free. The other one is verse 45. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Rooted and free. That's the title of our lesson today. The, uh, the concept of, of being free in the Bible is totally different than an American concept. We'll talk about the American concept in a moment. But I want you to think about how, how slaves were treated in the Old Testament particularly. Yes, also in the New, but particularly in the Old. In the Old Testament, when, when uh, someone owned property or had a business, he most likely had slaves, some of which were from his own culture, some of which were from outsiders. And if, if he had them and if the slave and the master had a great relationship and things were, were going very well between the master and the slave, at some point, the master would reach up and thump him upside the head and kind of box him on the ears. And it was a symbol and a sign that said, you are, you are such a great uh, servant of mine, I'm, I'm setting you free. Bong, box you on the side of the head. And out of that, we get the picture that when royalty is knighting someone when Queen Elizabeth wants to knight someone. You've seen the picture. She's got a big long sword. What does she do? She comes down and she taps them on one shoulder and then goes to the other side and taps them. That's the leftover of that sign, that symbol of letting someone free. Also in our Bible, there is a time when a servant might say to the master, yeah, I know you're going to let me free. You boxed me upside the head. It's been a physical visual sign to everyone that I'm now free, but I choose to stay your servant. I choose to stay and and work for you. I choose to be a member of your household. In which case, then the owner would take that person to the doorpost of their house and take their earlobe and an owl, owl, A-W-L, and chunk off a little piece. He's not making a, a place for an earring, but he would chunk off a little piece off of the earlobe. And that then was a physical sign to everyone, the servant saying, I could have been free, but I chose to stay and serve. And that's the picture that Paul used in the New Testament of you and I. We have been set free, but we choose to hang around and serve the Lord. We got a little notch on our ear. So next time you put earrings in, I want you to think about that. Lord, I'm wearing my earrings today, but really it's a sign and symbol that I want to stay in your service. The thing about it is, that idea of of masters and slaves and how they were treated and what the New Testament has to say and and the relationship between a servant and a master is not at all what we think about when we think about freedom. In our culture, freedom is a cry, much like William Wallace in my favorite movie, screamed it out. He meant throw off tyranny, throw off any constraints, let us be as, as Scots free. And in America, we kind of grab that concept. We like that. In our American history, we threw off the shackles of of Great Britain, and we had some freedom. We have a focus to our freedom. We believe, as as it's stated in the Declaration of Independence, we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I have rights. And praise God we live in that kind of a culture. I was with a missionary the other day, Uh, they do a lot of work in Kyrgyzstan, one of the Stan boys, the, the country's in the middle of the Asian area, and Kyrgyzstan is in a big upheaval right now, and they were praying for specific people by name that were being arrested and so on and so forth in that country. They have no rights. I am very grateful for my rights. But the focus of American freedom is on our rights. And I am here to tell you that is not the focus of freedom in our Bible. What about, what about our attitude towards freedom as Americans? Our, 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 our sense is that freedom means there are no external powers that can tell us what to do or how to live our lives. And doggone it all, we know it. You're not gonna tell us how to live our lives. You're not gonna tell us what to do. No government, no social convention, no institution is gonna block us from doing whatever we doggone well wanna do. And our fists kinda go up during that time. My own well-being, the well-being of my family, the prosperity that we have in mind, are central to the mindset about freedom in America. I want the maximum ability to choose whatever life I want to live within the constraints of a minimum amount of external pressure. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But it is our attitude, it is our focus. What's our reference point? Our reference point is us. Freedom for us starts right here, it's egocentric. Freedom for me doesn't start with you, it starts with me. What are are the freedoms for me? It's focused on what I want to do, what, what are the abilities to do, what I want to do. I hope you're starting to sense a little uncomfortability that this might not be a biblical understanding of freedom. The pursuit of freedom for the American mindset... Well, we get there one of two ways, either by compromise or by competition. I'll either win it out, the survival of the fittest, or I'll compromise and figure out a way around it. But in both those cases, people, people are focused on demanding their rights. You have no right to do so-and-so to me. You have no right to make that. You cannot take away my rights. And then our disappointment, our great disappointment... I I put it in your notes notes as a spoiler alert. The Bible does not prescribe a form of government. What? You mean our form of government that gives us all those rights is not God's plan for every human being? Sorry, I love doing that, that little noise. I like making mouth noises at all, but that was one of my favorites. Do you realize that the first century writers, most of the writers that wrote your New Testament that's sitting in your lap today, their form of government was a dictator and a very, very nasty one at that? They had zero rights, none. The people who wrote the Bible that talk all about the things that, that I'm gonna share with you in a moment, submitting to authorities, praying for those in government, praying for those that are authorities or kings, remembering that God is sovereign over absolutely everything. These people had no rights. They were under a government system that considered them less than the lint on the bottom of somebody's foot. God's word does not prescribe a form of government. Now, in an American Christian's mind, that is like mind-blowing. What? Surely God is in favor of the Declaration of Independence. The problem is, is the Bible takes a much more important mindset about freedom. And and in our disappointment, I want to show you a couple of verses, some of which I'm sure will be repeat for you. But turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Paul's writing to the the, the church at Roman, or, uh, church at Rome, rather the place where he was imprisoned. By the way, ultimately will be killed. And in Romans chapter 13, he tells us how to relate to our government. See if this sounds like current CNN report you heard last night. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God established. What? Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, maybe. I mean, you know, those who are in authority, right down to city councils, right down to the ones you're screaming about in San Clemente right now. All authorities, there are none except that which God established. So God's a Democrat or God's or a Republican or, or what is he? Green Party. I don't know. Are there other parties? I don't even know the names. No, he's saying let everyone be subject to the governor authorities because none of them have any power to rule in any way except what God has given them. What? You mean I shouldn't be going wacko over our current uh, situation? Answer, no. Should you vote? Yes. Should you vote your conscience? Yes. Should you encourage others? Yes. Should you help people vote? Yes. Don't steal their ballots, but you'd help them (laughs) vote. But in the end, God is controlling. He says, he goes on. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God or what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh oh. So, you can read the rest of that passage. Turn with me to to, uh, 1 Timothy. Paul's writing to a young preacher. His name is Timothy, and he's giving him some counsel. Remember that, that at this time, Nero is the uh, ruler. And Nero, for funsies, is killing off Christians. He would flail them and, and just peel off their skin so that there was a lot of oil on the outside of their bodies and, and stick a, a, a staff or a, a pole up their posterior and stick them in the middle of the road to make little tiki torches and turn them on fire. That was his fun thing to do. And during that time period, the Apostle Paul says... To Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what I want you to do. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for specifically now kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We are not living in godliness and holiness right now. Our sense of understanding of freedom is twisted. Yes, I could get to preaching here. Calm down, Cherry. Last thing Barbara said to me this morning is, keep your voice low. Hard to do. Yeah, I get a little passionate. He says in verse 3, this is good. This is good that you pray for all these people. And it pleases God our Savior. Why? Because he wants all people to be saved. He doesn't say he wants all people to vote a certain way, or all people to live in this county, or all people to do this thing. He says, I want all people to be saved. God's heart is different than ours. He cares about things that a lot of us have forgotten about. If we just looked at what the news is talking to us about right now, there is very little discussion about anything of this kind of substance, because we have a misunderstanding of what God's word has to say about freedom. Remember, God is in control over all human events. Nobody can become president. Nobody can become a city council member, an emperor, or a senator, or anything else apart from God's will. Now, that doesn't mean since we have the privilege of voting, we should all sit around and go, oh, who cares? I care, you care. Involvement is good, nothing in the world wrong with that. But at the end of the day, I'm not wacko. Because God is superintending that. Now, a word about civil disobedience. Sorry, this is a not in the flow of my notes, but I couldn't help myself. Christian, no, sinful me. What can I say? Besides, you came to hear me speak, and I get to choose what I want to say. No. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot in this context of we have freedom about our civil disobedience. That it's okay for us to be civilly disobedient. We don't like something... Stand up for whatever. Do you realize that civil disobedience only comes into play when the ruler directly tells us, demands, tells tells us to do something or not do something that is in direct, uh, uh, distinctive opposition to what God has said? You may not pray. That's a problem. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Civil disobedience about the statement, you may not pray, is appropriate. In my opinion, since this tape is going to go far and wide, I have to put that in there. It is not appropriate to have civil disobedience about you may not gather together as a church. They didn't say we couldn't gather. They said we couldn't gather in a certain way. You can gather right outside. You can gather in my backyard. We're gathering on my porch. I'm having services there all the time. Come join me. I need someone that can sing. That would be helpful. It's <laughs> not civil disobedience because we don't like something or because it encroaches us or because we, we would like to do it a different way. God's word says in John chapter 4 when John and, and, and Peter and John are confronted that the civil authorities told them to stop preaching about Jesus and they caught him again. And now John raises up with civil disobedience and says, we've we got we to honor God, not man. I get it. They were specifically told not to talk about Jesus. They're going to talk about Jesus. That's different. Be careful about what you raise up your flag of civil disobedience. It needs to be something that directly opposes something God has directly told us to do. Not the things that we would prefer to do. I'm encroached every day by laws. I think we should be able to drive about 95 miles an hour on that freeway. My car runs best at 85. (laughs) I am encroached every single day because they tell me they're going to pull me over and hand me one of those little pieces of paper. They are messing with my rights. And you know why they're doing it? Because you have rights. And they would rather I don't run you over. And I agree to it because I want to live in this society. On the back of this church somewhere, unless they took it down, there's a plaque that says how many people can be in this building. It went up there when this building was built. I was here then. I don't remember what the number is, but it was back there forever. Every building has them, capacity. So for the pastor to get up and say, they're not going to tell us how many people we can put in this building. Really? They did it when you built the building. It's called health and safety codes. The only things they can close Stony Brook down are are health and safety codes. They can't tell us what to teach. And we're going to teach exactly what we've been teaching for 38 years. Because that's what God has called us to do. Health and safety codes. Too many people in a room. Too many people in the hallway. Can't get a fire egress. Yeah, those are all reasonable and rational. Let's not get hysterical about that. Freedom in the Bible is not equivalent to the mindset. And I'm reading in a lot of articles that are quoting, mis, misquoting, taking out of context and so on, a lot of things about freedom. And that's not what the psalmist is trying to tell us. I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. I'm off my soapbox now. You can relax. Galatians Galatians chapter uh, 5. What is, what is Paul going to say about freedom? What, what is his mindset? What's he trying to draw our attention to? Chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on in in other places in 1 Peter chapter 2 talking about when we're living as servants of the Most High. We are servants of others. We we want to be in a position with our freedom to serve someone else. So let me give you four or five things that I think are biblical freedom. I think that's what the psalmist is writing about. First off, I think it's writing about us having freedom from our self-interests. Um... I was having a conversation the first time I ever remember saying these words out loud with a bunch of kids here at Stony Brook. And they asked me, Miss World, what are you most looking forward to in heaven? And I guess they were thinking chocolate or dogs or puppies or something, I don't know. And I said, I, I looked at, I thought about it for a minute. I looked at it and I said, the thing I'm most looking forward to heaven is I don't have to deal with me anymore. And, and I absolutely will answer it the same way today. The thing I am most looking forward to heaven is that I no longer have to battle me. That my self-interest no longer war against my spirit. That that which God has put in me, the Holy Spirit, no longer has to be at war with me. That's what Paul's saying. Real freedom is the freedom to not have to respond to us. It doesn't have to be all about me. The writers are referring to a freedom that liberates us from the freedom of of being dominated by ourselves. And in that freedom, then we can be the people God intended for us to be. You were given certain natural talents and spiritual gifts as a child of God. There are are things that he has given you that, that need to be recognized and developed and used. Talents, gifts, and so on. All for God's glory. All of that gets to come out when we're not so consumed with self. When I'm consumed with me, I don't think about you. I just don't. When I'm in a hurry back to me driving inappropriately on the freeway, if I'm barreling down the freeway, it's because something's going on in my life. And I need to get somewhere. I want to get somewhere. fast. It's all about me. I'm not thinking about the lady in the other car. When we have biblical freedom, we stop being so focused on moi and start to think about people around us. See, in in Galatians, what Paul's trying to gather here is that there is a certain kind of way God expected his kids to live. And in that pursuit, I cannot be consumed with me, no matter what. I need to be consumed with you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Freedom is the freedom from self-interest. Second thing I wanted to draw to your attention is that when Paul and the psalmist Talk to us about spiritual free, about freedom rather. They're talking about spiritual freedom. They're not talking about what, what Thomas Paine wrote about in Common Sense. I read that this week. It's very interesting. You got to go back and read it. You know, I, I I I don't I don't think we should equate the 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 American revolutionary mindset, fist in hand, you know, freedom, with what Paul's trying to talk about here, because he's talking about a spiritual freedom. You're in Galatians. Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. It is for freedom that Christ Jesus has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What, what is he talking about? He's not talking about physical slavery, and he's not talking about national freedoms. He's talking about you and I, specifically the readers at Galatia, about being encumbered again with Old Testament tie-downs. Remember, in the Old Testament, they had to eat certain things and not eat certain things. They worshipped on certain feast days, and they had certain festivals. They had certain times they had to go up to Jerusalem to worship God and other times that they could stay home. They had lots of laws about what the clothing should be like. God laid out a whole way of living. And when the New Testament came, no longer the old covenant, it now was not rooted in the the keeping of the law. It was now rooted in what Christ had done on the cross. We had freedom, freedom, spiritual freedom, no longer encumbered by all that performance stuff, now focused on the gift that Jesus had given us. He sums up that whole thought. Still in chapter 5, look at verse number 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There ain't a whole lot of love going around in our culture right now. We are lining up an and, and anti-something. Any, can, any, any proposition, any candidate, any party, any policy, you name it, we're lining up. Paul's saying, wait a minute, this whole thing of freedom is meant to be focused on a faith that expresses itself through love. Let me give you another thought about biblical freedom. It is the freedom to serve. Part of the problem is that we, in our pursuit of self, And I certainly put myself at the head of that class. We we are in very many ways ignoring God's command to love everyone else. I am supposed to subjugate my desires, my wishes, my preferences, my things to Suzanne's. If we approach the, the dessert bar at the same moment and there's one chocolate chip cookie that she made left... I want it. I have a right to it. She eats them all the time. She makes them. She eats them all the time. I want it. I have an inalienable rights to eat that cookie, based on my own writings. But the scripture says, when we approach that cookie, I shouldn't be thinking about my desire to have that cookie. I should be thinking about, Suzanne hasn't had a cookie yet today, and she ought to have that cookie. That is the essence of spiritual freedom. It is to be in service to others. We always serve someone or something. Often we serve ourselves. Sometimes we serve a a spouse or someone else. Sometimes a a boss at work or, or, or whatever. But sometimes it's just a matter of we're serving Satan or we're serving God. We're serving somebody all the time. In Romans chapter 6, in verses 18, 19, 20, 20, 22, he talks about no longer being slaves to sin, but instead now being s- slaves to righteousness. That's what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about William Wallace shoving his hand up and screaming, we're no longer going to be encapsulated by the Scottish people, or the Scottish people are not going to be encapsulated by the English people. No, it's us understanding That we're no longer slaves to sin, but have an opportunity to be slaves to righteousness. That's a totally different way to look at life. Romans chapter 6, verse 22, I think I put this one in your notes. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. I put this one in your notes too. Do not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Instead of screaming at each other at street corners, how about we walk up and give the opposition a, a, a nice cold drink of water? No words expressed, no screaming, no hollering, no telling them why they're idiots for thinking that way. Just give them a cup of cold water. Or a candidate that you do not want to vote for. And you meet them out on a walk in your, in your neighborhood. This happened a few years ago. Somebody was walking in my neighborhood. I knew a little bit about their candidacy. And there was no way they were getting my vote. And when I saw them, immediately my flesh went to town. About all the reasons I was going to tell them they ain't going to get my vote. And then, praise God, the Holy Spirit had a moment. And instead, I invited them up on my porch. Invited him to have a drink of water buttoned up my mouth that's the kind of freedom that the bible has to say is so important so i ask as i always do at the end of every lesson so what well i think there's a reason that the psalmist declared that he walks around in freedom he sought out he pursued he ran after with great energy and great enthusiasm god's word We should be quoting God's word to each other right now about the kind of freedom he's talking about. Can you imagine how much that would lower the temperature in the discord? If the next time somebody that you adamantly oppose, whatever their position might be, on a policy, on a candidate, whatever, pick somebody in your mind right now that you you are not on the same page. What would it be like if you prayed for them? Until your locked jaw no longer was locked. You could have them to dinner. You could enjoy their company. You could provide a service for them and send them on their way. That is an expression of godly freedom. Everybody wants to live in freedom. And believers can. Unlike everybody going down that free ride right now who's so sick of it all. I could articulate every position for every proposition. I got it. And they're sick of it too. If, if, we, if we were were in the focus of what I'm talking about, unlike them, you and I get to live under grace. We are not living under law. I, I, I know what it's like to have freedom in Christ. I don't have to worship on a certain feast day or a festival. I don't have to wear a certain kind of cloth. I'm not focused on keeping in the law. I am bathed in the grace given to me by the cross of Jesus Christ. That is a freedom. We can live in freedom when we embrace grace. Secondly, we can live in freedom when we reign in ourselves. Self-discipline is the cry of a truly free godly society self-discipline that doesn't mean we don't have different opinions heaven knows you know me well enough to know i have a whole boatload of opinions we all have different opinions i don't think there's anything in the world wrong with me having a different opinion the problem is when i'm screaming at you about it therein lies my problem Self-discipline. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Next time you see someone run across your television screaming and hollering at someone else, say to yourself with a little humor, not very self-controlled, lacking self-control. Lacking self-control. Don't say it to them in the face. Do not go up to the people in the corners and go, Lacking self-control. You're going to get punched out. Don't do that. And when you see you start to well up about a, You mean we got to wear the, 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 the Your face starts to get a little red behind that thing. Let, let a little, little button go off in you. It goes, Lacking self-control. Rain it in, Sherry. You're not the center of the universe. We can have great freedom when we rein ourselves in. And thirdly, we can have great freedom when we learn to, su- to serve other people. That verse I already gave you in Galatians chapter 5 makes it so clear. Let me read it again. Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Yahoo! I love that. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Oh, Okay. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked and clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood, that is a display of freedom. Not screaming and hollering with our fist in the air. I I chose to teach this lesson because I am ashamed of me. I was raised in a family that was to the right of Genghis Khan. Uh, My dad was a military And red, white, and blue were the only colors we had in our house. You mentioned the military, I snapped to attention. You take me to a ball game, I'm going to smack somebody that doesn't take their hat off and put it over their heart. I, I, I was raised in that context. My political leanings have always been that direction. But I have noticed the last few years of my life that what's taken over in my heart is a greater focus on my American citizenship than my citizenship in heaven. And I'm sad about that. I am proud to be an American. I don't want to live anywhere else. I jokingly say I'm moving to Canada. I'm not moving to Canada. We have rights and opportunities that should be cherished. Deeply, I feel that. But I'm disappointed at my perspective. And I'm trying very hard to, to, to look at the Bible and say, all right, Lord, you let me live in the 20th and 21st century. You let me be born in an American family. You let me understand all of those gifts that come with that kind of freedom. What should I do with that? And I pray that at the end of today's lesson, you will think about that too. Because here's the problem. Some of us don't realize that we have been, in fact, set free. It's kind of like in the, uh, in the uh, 1800s, after uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. It was actually signed in September. September the 22nd, 1882, uh, Abraham Lincoln signed it. And it was to go into effect January 1st, 1863. But for almost a year, when the Union soldiers were marching up and down through the south... They all were instructed to carry a copy of the Emancipation Proclamation. And they gave them out by the thousands. Because just because they had been set free back in September, people didn't know it. Slaves didn't realize that they were free. They were still serving in terrible conditions until people started showing up and handing them the piece of paper. Guys, here's what I think we should do. Hand them a piece of paper. Here's the piece of paper we need to hand them. We have been set free. This is the paper that matters. Let me pray. Father, thank you. The instructions in Psalm 119 are so appropriate for me and also for everyone within the sound of my voice. Make us good Americans, Lord. Let us cherish those gifts you've given us. Let us be vigilant and and, and engaged and participating to the fullest extent of our given rights under our Constitution. But Father, let that not rise up to number one in our mind and our hearts. Let our freedom in you produce a love and a care and a service that marks us as your kids. I pray this in Jesus' name.